And, uh, so he, he builds your affection and entertainment, or you're just like, boy, that's horrible. Um, I happen to be a fan. One of my, one of my favorite movies is uh, right on the brink of being sacrilegious, Bruce Almighty. And uh, it's such an interesting premise, actually, is that uh, Bruce is struggling in his life. Nothing is going well. And so he prays about it, and he gets really whiny, and then it still does not go well, right? And then he just really complains to God, right? He just is upset, over-the-top upset, you know, and he, he's upset at God. He's yelling at God and so forth. And, uh, and really feels that God is not doing a good job of running the world or his life. Have you ever been there? Yes, I was there this past week, actually. <laughs> right, so you just there's this frustration, this, and uh, of course mine is a, a mild, I just get a little complainy with God. Bruce gets really loud and obnoxious with God. And there's this interesting scene where he, which of course we're going to watch. Now he did some splicing because it's a little bit long, so he brought it together. But notice he's meeting the God character in the movie, Morgan Freeman. And he comes, he's invited, and Morgan Freeman, he doesn't know that he's the God character, of course, yet. Pay attention to what he invites him to, and then how he responds to his complaints. He does not say, I'm God, you're not, get over it. <laughs> Listen to what he says. You're looking for room seven. Yeah, I figured. You want me to even those up for you? How do I get to room seven? I'll be on the seventh floor. Stairs right over there. I'd rather take the elevator. Out of order. I love the stairs, though. They were my second choice. Do you mind giving me a hand with this floor? What? <laughs> That's good. Are you serious? Oh, uh, I'm kind of busy. Um, rain check. I'll hold you to it. I'm free on the seventh! That's seven! Seven, that's seven it is. Okay, that is a good one. That is a good one. Okay, how many fingers am I holding up? Now, Bruce, thou shalt not tempt the Lord. Hey, if you I can't God. do it, man, that's cool. Three, two, four, nine, six, eight, one. Okay. How many now? Seven. Aha! <laughs> You've been doing a lot of complaining about me, Bruce. Quite frankly, I'm tired of it. Wait, 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 wait. Don't come near me. Seriously, when I'm back into a corner of a wild animal, I don't want to hurt you, but I will out of instinct. You haven't won a fight since grade five, and that was against a girl. Yeah, she was huge. <laughs> the sun was in your eyes. Oh, there you go. In a way, I brought you here to offer you a job. A job, a job, my job. You think you can do it better, so here's your chance. When you leave this building, you will be endowed with all my powers. Whatever you say, Bill. 
All right. Right on the edge of sacrilege, but, but we're there, we're okay. So did you get, now when he walks in, what did he invite him to do? Help him do the floor. That was a little bit of foreshadowing of how he was going to respond to him. He was actually not going to say, I'm God, you're not, stop complaining. He was going to invite him to do the work of God in this world. And at first, when I first saw the movie, I thought, oh, that it's a fun premise. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's not biblical at all. And yet, as I thought about it more, because that's what I like to do, is I like to think about movies and how I might apply them to the messages, I thought, wait, that is biblical. There is this idea. Yes, we do. We can relate to, to Bruce's character. Sometimes you get complaining, and God, you're not doing well, and poverty, and homelessness, and terrorism, and then just personally, you're not answering the prayers that uh, I've prayed in the way that I want them, and we complain, we complain, and God's response biblically is not, I'm God, you're not, stop complaining. In a really profound sense, his response is, I'm inviting you into my work and ministry and restoration of the world right here and now. Now, we're going to see this in this incredible interaction with Abraham. If you would turn with me to Abraham chapter 18. Uh, last week, uh, Abraham, that's right, that's part of the Apocrypha, I thought sacrilegious will, <laughs> to the story of Abraham, which is found in Genesis 18, um, Beth did a wonderful job last week um, of introducing this amazing interaction, right, so we've been following Abraham, we've seen his struggles, his difficulties, his lack, his lack of belief, and yet then God inviting him uh, into this covenant relationship, into this blessing, and we've been seeing how God hasn't yet answered, he has to trust, Abraham has to trust God even when the things God has said has not been fulfilled, is the timing in Acts, Acts 18, let's just jump there, in Genesis 18, <laughs> in Genesis 18, these three visitors come and they finally put a timetable on part of the fulfillment of the promises from Genesis 12, right? He says, in a year, Sarah will have a child. Sarah laughs, if you remember last week. Probably that was part of Sarah having to grow in her faith as well. God inviting Sarah to buy in on the covenant promise. And he invites her in. So he says a year from now, Sarah will be with child. And then they're about to move on, the three visitors. Three visitors are about to move on. And Abraham walks with them. We'll pick up the story in Genesis 18 Verse 16, when the man got up to leave, when the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about 
to do. So the context is you've got the Lord and two angels. Some have wondered if this is a picture of the Trinity in the Old Testament. Probably not. The scripture's pretty clear in the next chapter that there was indeed two angels with the Lord. Some have asked the question, is this a, a uh, sighting of Jesus in the Old Testament? Right? A, a pre-incarnation, pre-New Testament. I don't think you can prove that from the text. It's kind of fun to think about though, isn't it? That Jesus shows up with two angels and he dialogues, he gives the promise to Abraham. Now they're going on and he asks this question, I'll read it again. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Somewhat of a rhetorical question to the angels because he answers or, or justifies or shares why he's going to bring Abraham in on the knowledge. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry, so he's, he's bringing in Abraham into what's about to happen. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not... I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, the angels. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, actually, uh, verse 22 could be translated in a slightly different way. It could be translated, the Lord remained standing before Abraham. It makes more sense in the context than Abraham approaches him. Probably there were some scribes that changed it in translation because they felt it was too sacrilegious that the Lord would stay standing before Abraham. I think that's interesting. Verse 23. Then Abraham approached him and said... Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Amazing words by Abraham. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, be mindful that Abraham is being very bold, but mindful of who God is. And who he is. 
What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, (laughs) now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, really, Abraham, you're still going. May the Lord not be angry, even though I'm testing you. But let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left him, and Abraham returned home. Have you ever read such an amazing interaction in the Old Testament between a a mere mortal, Abraham? I mean, I know that Abraham is the father of our faith, but wow! I mean, he's going back and forth, and the Lord is interacting with them. He's not saying, I'm God, you're not, you get it, why are you asking me these things? He's dialoguing back and forth. And in fact, it's it's the Lord who initiates this kind of interaction. Did you recognize that? Look at verse 17. It's the Lord who asks the question, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? It's he who initiated. Abraham didn't burst his way into the conversation. He's saying, listen, there is this heavenly counsel, this, this working from heaven on earth. And he is inviting Abraham even though he's nothing but ashes and dust, even though he is part of creation, not creator, God initiates him into what you can call the heavenly council. And then he does something else. He lets Abraham's voice and questions matter. He entertains, he interacts, he allows this interaction between him. He lets Abraham press in, in this way. He doesn't go, all right, too far, 30 is enough for, and, and he doesn't, he lets Abraham, what are we to make of this interaction? A few things. I was reading a commentator and I couldn't put it better than him, so I'm just going to read to you. Commentator says this, here in Abraham, in this story, is exemplified the great privilege, I I would say one of the great privileges of God's covenant People. This is, we see in this story one of the great privileges of being a Christian, of walking in covenant with God. Are you ready for this great privilege? Are you see it? 
Because I'm concerned that many of us don't press into this great privilege. Here in Abraham is exemplified the great privilege of God's covenant people throughout the ages. God has revealed his purposes to them and allows their voice to be heard in intercession and in prayer in the court of heaven itself. What? What? Did you hear that? The, the privilege that, that we're not just yes men, right? Another Jim Carrey movie that is, by the way, right? He's not just looking for people to say, yes, God. Yeah, yes, God. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. How, you jump how high? Where to go? Yeah, yeah. No, that's not the characterization of the Christian life today. He's inviting us through intercession and prayer to actually engage in what the commentator calls the heavenly council. You could call the divine council in God's work in this world. He's not looking, he's not saying, hey, just shut up and, tell, and do what I tell you. That's not how he is. That's not how he wants to work in your life. He's wanting, he's given this privilege. This is what it means to be part of the covenant people, covenant God. That this is what it means that all of us in the New Testament have the Spirit of God in us, the counsel of God, that we get to enter into the throne room and have divine conversation, heavenly conversation. And he doesn't, you know, with your child, oh yeah, what do you think, little one? That's good, good thought. Pat on the head, move along. He lets our voice Matter. Here's another way to put it from a New Testament language. The gospel is an invitation to the family business. The gospel is an invitation to the family of God, work and agenda in this world. And he's not wanting you to simply have a desk job. He's allowing you in the boardroom, as it were. He's allowing you and your voice to matter in this world. A, a phrase that is a couple times in Psalms that I thought of as I was reading this story, that God is looking down from heaven on all the earth and he's looking for a certain group of people. In fact, that phrase is, is used a couple different ways, but in Psalms, there's a two phrase. In Psalm 14, I'll read a little bit longer of the phrase. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand Any who seek God. Boy, I want to be in that group. I want to be in that group when he looks at Colorado Springs. And he's looking for, for those who, who get it, who understand the kingdom of God, who understand justice and mercy, who understand righteousness and sin. 
Those who are understanding the works of God and the ways of God, who are seeking God, that understand the purpose of life is not the accumulation of things, but the purpose of life is seeking after the one true living God, our creator, and allowing him to work and form within us and then through us and transform the world according to his plans and purposes from the very beginning. Friends, he's looking for people who understand and are seeking the things of God. Here's my concern. That many of us are so wrapped up. And I don't want you to think I'm throwing stones from glass houses. I fall into this on a regular basis. We get so wrapped up with our personal stuff. We are not pressing into the things of God beyond our lives, beyond our families, beyond our work, right? That, that we are so focused in, in the day-to-day, in our struggles, and how God is not answering our prayers. And I just kind of might have been praying like that this week, all right? And yet he's calling us, yes, our individual things matter. Yes, he wants us to pray about what's going in our our lives and our relationships, our family. Absolutely, but he doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us to be able to pull our eyes up. Those of us who seek and intervene and pray and talk and wrestle with the greater picture beyond us and beyond our individual families and lives. Yes, yes. When was the last time center of your prayers was not about you, but more about God's kingdom? Was not about your immediate family, but was pertaining to what God was doing in this world? Jesus gives this invitation to his apostles, and I really believe you and I. He says this, I no longer call you servants, Because a servant does not know his master's business. He's saying discipleship within the kingdom of God is not a desk job. It's not just about serving and being a servant. I have called you friends. Remember, Abraham is called a friend of God. Why? Because Abraham was brought into the know. That's part of covenant. I no longer call you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. That's discipleship. That's journey. That's walking. He's inviting us into his kingdom agenda and work for the world. Just a few examples. I'm trying to learn and grow in this in the not too distant past maybe two years ago, I wanted to leave our denomination. And I was praying about whether I should talk to our governing body, elders and deacons, about that. I was wrestling and praying. And then somewhere along the line, it wasn't a dramatic shift, it wasn't a stone tablet in my backyard. He said, Eric, I want you to be a part of healing the denomination. I have an agenda for this denomination. 
Are there 50 righteous leaders and people in the denomination? I'm convinced there are. I'm convinced there's hundreds of good, solid Christian women and men in the denomination, and God has a plan. So I reluctantly got involved at a great, in greater depth in the denomination. I'm still waiting for the release. He keeps pulling me in farther, right? Mm. Let me uh, ask this one. Just, this is near to my heart. You know that I, I have a great deal of affection for much of what the Catholic Church represents. There's some really beautiful theology and practice and, and uh, saints that have gone before us. And in this past several days, there's been this unprecedented council of bishops that the Pope has brought together to deal with the sexual scandal that's there. And my prayer has been, now, now I'm an outsider, right? I'm not Catholic, not gonna be Catholic. And yet in one sense, I'm an insider. You have many who claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in their life within the Catholic Church. I believe that God wants to continue to advance his kingdom through the Catholic Church. These are not my words. This is the leader of a, a Catholic leader who said the leadership of the Catholic Church is rotten at its core. That's not my words. That's another leader. And that God still has plans, but he has to get out of the rot at that tree. I am praying not for judgment for the Catholic Church, I'm praying for, for justice for the victims. I'm praying for transparency. I'm, tr I'm praying for a, a transformation of the leadership of the church because God still wants to use, I believe, the Catholic church for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Do, do, I, I know that that can be controversial. I know that there, but do you hear what I'm saying? And so I, I'm, I was praying, I, I was praying that Catholics and Protestants were praying for a dramatic reformation of the Catholic Church. Now I say that of our own denomination. Our own denomination has rotting parts to it as well, okay? So I'm not, again, being judgmental. I'm praying, I'm trying to understand what is God doing in, the, in this world? How is he working in these different places? And I believe that he has heard the outcry of those who have experienced sexual abuse within the Catholic Church and the Protestant churches, and he is at work, work doing something about those outcries. And I want my prayers to matter. And I want to join him in that work. Why? Because I'm a covenant child and he's invited me into that. Friends, that's living with purpose and meaning beyond our individual lives. Now this invitation to Abraham has another significant impact. And not only is the gospel an invitation to family business, the gospel is an inv invitation to boldly engage with the world 
and with the Lord. The two primary ways that we do that is prayer and action. Our lives, what we do, the difference that we make. Jesus, so often, if you, if you look at Jesus' encouragements of prayer, he's always caught inviting bold prayer, persistent prayer. I'm going to read this parable to you because I love this parable. Uh, it's from Luke chapter 18. You can turn or just listen here. I don't have it all, the full on the screens, but it's there. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Said, be persistent, go after it. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Didn't really care about people. Didn't fear God, didn't care about justice and mercy. He was just a, he was really an unjust judge. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea Grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused, but finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, I love what a judge actually say that, but I love parables. I love how Jesus, right? So the judge says, yeah, I don't really fear God or care about what people say. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, She's so persistent. She's wearing me out. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I love parables. Now, why would Jesus make the judge unjust? It doesn't make any sense to me. He tells us. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's looking for understanding. He's looking for faith. He's looking for people who understand and are pressing in, that are being bold and persistent and going on. And he says, yes, this world is made up of unjust judge, judges, but your Father in heaven is not unjust. He is a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. He wants to answer those prayers. He wants the engagement. He wants you to keep pressing in just like Abraham did. He doesn't get impatient. He doesn't get annoyed. He says, yes, come on, let's talk. Yes, you're getting it. You're understanding. As I wrestled with this interaction, I'm like, is, is Abraham haggling here? Is he is he like, you know, trying to work at it? No, he's not really haggling. I, I think the key word, again from a commentator, is the idea was exploration. That Abraham was learning and growing in his faith in intercession. And he knew he had a sense of who God was. He was learning that God is a judge of all the earth. He, was, he knew that God was merciful 
and gracious. And perhaps he didn't know because it's very hard for us as human beings to understand justice and mercy and the interaction, how God works all the time. But he, he kept pressing in and asking and learning and growing. And it was this beautiful picture of interaction and spiritual growth. Boldly pray. Boldly go. Consistent, pressing in. Um, I gave my illustration of the Catholic Church early. All right. Press in. Have you ever asked what God is doing in Colorado Springs? Have you ever asked what he's doing in this nation? That was part of the prayer vigil that we did last month, the the power of the prayer vigil. As I walked through those stations, I'm like, this is an invitation to understand and grow in my understanding of what God is doing in this church, in uh, in this nation, and in this world. And I was joining with him my prayers beyond myself. It was so nice to pray not just about me. We, we boldly pray, but then also we boldly live. The author of Hebrews put it like this, so sensitive and gentle. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Look at your neighbor and say, do you have feeble arms? Are they with the... He's saying, strengthen those. This is the time. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. He's saying, be strong. This is a be- The world is broken and needs the kingdom of God. The world is broken and needs the restoration of all things. The world is broken and lost and needs the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Boldly pray and boldly live. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Yes. You know, I have another sense, just to give an example. Another sense that the church, capital C, both Protestant and Catholic, that we are not living in the fullness of, that God has for us in this world. That, that we're, we're living a diminished gospel. That he's given us these gifts. I've got to look at the time because I feel myself getting ready to go off script here, okay? So one of the things is, is that I am convicted that the church has misunderstood the word of God and diminished the role of women in the leadership of the church. Now, I know there's strong scriptures going to argue, but I believe this is true within Catholicism, and that's part of the reason why they're struggling so deeply right now. And that the, the Protestant church has misunderstood the kingdom of God. And so half of our population of church is being held back from roles of leadership. That's not okay. I also believe that they're missing the fullness of the Spirit of God 
what it means to not only walk in his presence, but also his power, both Protestant and Catholic. And so I, I realized the last couple of years, I can make a difference in this church, right? And start talking. But then the Lord put it on my heart to start, what does it look like for the greater church? And I can write. I can offer, I can go, I can, I can do, and I continue to pray, Lord, what would you have me do? What do I, not, not just pray, I, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. But what does it look like to do? And if, so I've been writing on these issues, and if I can change one church or one group of pastors, hallelujah, open up the fruitfulness of that leader or church for kingdom impact. You see what I'm saying? He, he's calling us. The story of Abraham is calling us to lift our eyes beyond our personal issues and to what God is doing. So many of you write prayer requests, right, in the back. I'm praying that not only do you start putting prayer requests on the back of, of that that pertain to your own life, but that you would put prayer requests that pertain to this city, to this church, to this nation, and to this world, that we would be a, a congregation where he's lifting our eyes and we're entering into the family business of God. Now, you're going to think that I coordinated this message with our um, ministry fair out there, it was a happy Holy Spirit coincidence that it happened, all right? Because what is volunteerism in the kingdom of God? Volunteerism in the kingdom of God is you're stepping deeper into the family business. You are, whether it's children's ministry, whether it's worship arts, whether it's greeting, whatever it is, you're taking a step and say, hey, it's not just about me, but God wants to make a kingdom impact in this church. He wants to do it in the people of this church, in the children of the church, in the youth of the church. He wants to, and then he wants to make a kingdom impact not only in this church, but in this country, and I believe in the nation and even international, right? So, so I'm going to sign up. I can do this. I, I can help in the nursery. I can help prepare the sacraments. I can play a role. I want to encourage and challenge you. Yes, I, I, yeah, the $100 gift card would be sweet, right? But sign up, take a step into, get away from the desk job and do something, start something. And Natalie was absolutely right. He wants to transform us. There are Bible studies and there are kingdom life communities. That's part of the covenant life, absolutely. But I want to challenge you to service. Whatever that is, whatever the calling is, right? That's between you and God, uh, but, but enter into it. You could sign up for more than one thing. Just speaking of spiritual attack, this is why it was on my mind, is we really need volunteers for children's ministry and youth ministry in particular. And both Janet and David, our leaders, are not here this morning because of various reasons, right? Does that feel like spiritual attack? 
Can you take what God, the, uh, what the enemy meant for evil and God is trying to do, can you make it into good? Would you be mindful of that? You know what? I, I, I'm just too, too busy at work to really give work less. You know what? Our kids, they've got too many activities. Sign them up for one less activity. You know, I, I, I travel a lot, so sign up for when you're here. Am I do, being too straightforward with you? No, it. It, it's this important, right? That this is part of the fullness of God, that we are connected to a local community of faith and we're using our gifts. That's part of the call. It's part of the call. The Christian faith is not a Lone Ranger Christian faith. It is a community. It, he wants to give gifts. I don't know my gifts. That's okay. Serve and you'll discover your gifts as you serve in that way. Press in in that. All right. Where am I? Huge tangent, but let's go here. Okay, final point. The gospel is an invitation to be an advocate of blessing. And this is the one last point that really struck me from the story of Abraham. And I contrast this with Jonah. Most of you know the story of Jonah. If you don't, it's just a small book. It's worth a read. But the story of Jonah is, did you know that Jonah is a prophet and he is in the family business? He's in the family of God business. He's one of those that understands. He gets God's agenda for the world. He had probably understood God better than Abraham at this point because he was a prophet, right? Abraham's discovering and processing. Jonah gets it. He understands who God is. And God puts a call on his life and he says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I'm going the exact opposite way. And the whole book, it's great writing. The whole book is this tension. Why is Jonah running from what God told him to. Why does he have to get swallowed by a whale and, and vomited on the beach? What, what is going on? Why are you running, Jonah? The final chapter of the book, he finally tells us, Jonah prays and he tells us why he ran. He says this, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. What was he trying to forestall? I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I want the Ninevites dead. Now was Jonah an agent of blessing? He was not. Yeah, he was not. And don't you know it? He preached to Nineveh and God spared Nineveh. <laughs> Abraham, it's so different. Abraham is pressing in and he's asking these questions, he's discovering and he's, and he's realizing that, that God, he knows God's a God of justice. 
Isn't it amazing that uh, for some people, they are not Christians because they're like, God, how can you love a God who's wrathful and judgment? You're missing God's heart. If God denied the cries of abuse coming from Sodom, and he turned a deaf ear to Sodom, would he be a loving God? No. If he turned a deaf ear to what was happening in the Catholic Church, would he be a loving God? No. He's at work. How? So, so love and justice have this beautiful interaction, and we're never going to get the it fully this side of heaven. Abraham didn't get it fully this side of heaven, but he's exploring, he's pressing in, and he's learning about God's mercy. Boy, if there's just 10, I'd love to spare the city. If there's just 10, then I could handle the sin in a different way. Maybe like with Nineveh, where a prophet could send in repentance, but God we see in his careful weighing of pain and injustice and struggle and love and mercy and forgiveness. And incredibly, he invites us in to that. I want my life to be far more than just about me and my family, my likes and dislikes and my comfort in retirement, right? Would you know that pastors never really retire? We just stop being paid for ministry. That's really (laughs) what our ministry is, right? So I I hope that none of you, yeah, go ahead and bring the the worship team up. I hope that none none of you retire or are retired from the kingdom of God, work, and ministry. Amen? Amen. Yes? I, I don't care how old you are, that we're called to serve and do kingdom of God ministry. That's a part. I, I'm going to be serving in, in some way, shape, or form. I, I hope to. Until the day that Jesus comes back, or I'm brought to him, right? That's my prayer for us, that that we would be living that covenant life of service, prayer, bold prayer, and bold living. I want to do uh, something a a little bit different. If, If our prayer folks could come forward, and we haven't done this for a while, we haven't anointed with oil, Oil is a a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of sometimes blessing and filling and favor, sometimes healing and restoration, a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. Do you know that, that oil is also about call? Scripture tells us that each and every one of us has an anointing. Each and every one of us has a call. That anointing is in 1 John. Each and every one of us are gifted, 1 Corinthians. Right? Each of us has that. And I 
kind of was hoping, if you're comfortable, if you're unsure, if you're a visitor today and you're like, this is, you can stay seated, that, that's okay. I was hoping that kind of like communion, where we all need Jesus, yes? yes. Oh, yeah. We're all called to serve. Yes? Yes. yes. <laughs> and I want to invite you, it's not going to be a long prayer. Our, our prayer leaders are, are simply going to anoint you for um, the calling and the gifts that you have. It doesn't matter what age you are. Um, I want to invite as many of you who are willing just to come and um, I'm not going to give like directions for it. You can figure it out, right? But as we worship, would you come and be anointed for the heavenly counsel and the work of the kingdom that you are called to? So Lord, we give you this time. Lord, what a mind-blowing reality that you invite us into the heavenly council, that our, our voice matters, that what we do in this world matters for your kingdom agenda and work. Lord, help us as a people to step into the ministry and the gifts and the anointing that you have for us. Amen.